And so uh, as we do that, uh, just so you know, of course, uh, our young ones, our next generation are invited uh, to join their teachers, uh, to go and to, um, to just celebrate and to worship and have their own time. And before you know it, all the young ones down the hall will be like Julie and David and graduating, right? Did you ever just kind of notice that if you have kids or kids in your life that you kind of blink and all of a sudden they're going to college? And uh, I feel that way and Claudia and I have been feeling that way, um, especially for the, the past few weeks. And, uh, you know, we, um, we're going to become empty nesters and that's something that we always heard about. And we always said, you know, when we get really old... Um, then, you know, we will be that. But, uh, so I guess that means we're really old because here we are, uh, now, but, um, uh, it's a special time. And so thank you for, uh, celebrating and honoring, uh, Julia and David along, uh, with us this morning. But, you know, uh, we, we just gave to God some of our resources, whatever that looked like for you. And, and, uh, but this morning's passage in the gospel of Mark is all about giving, but my focus is not about giving of money. Although, of course, that's part of how we give. We just did that. Uh, but this is the story of the widow's offering. Some of us might know it or have learned it as the widow's might. And uh, there's, there's a lot that is packed into this very short little sort of vignette, this scene. So I hopefully can paint the picture for you so we're all on the same page, sort of looking at the same picture, but that's seeing a few things that we can glean from what Jesus is teaching. And this is a pivotal point in the whole gospel story because Jesus sort of makes a transition from teaching publicly to then just teaching privately to his disciples. He is done uh, sort of debating and um, not really arguing, but but dealing with the religious leaders. This is it. And he moves on from that because we know as being here in the middle of the Passion Week, Holy Week in our story, um, he is very soon going to be spending his last hours with his disciples, the Last Supper, and then, of course, betrayed and um, crucified. And then, as he promised, um, rising again. But here in our story, in the Gospel of Mark, we find that Jesus uh, concludes his public teaching with this condemnation of the scribes, these religious leaders who should know better. But then he ends on this positive note of commending a widow and her heart of sacrificial giving. So perhaps there'll be some things in today's message that maybe you didn't hear about or or even focus on in your previous readings or hearings about this familiar story. But um, it's about the widow's might, or as some versions say, her her cent or her pennies or even less than a penny. You know, I, I actually meant to bring two pennies up here today, but I didn't have two pennies to rub together. Ha ha ha, right? Actually, you know, there's there's actually a few different idioms we have about two pennies, right? Or like two coins, two small coins. Don't we often say to give your two cents worth? You know, don't you love, I know we all have those people in in our lives that just love to give their two cents and you walk away and you're just like, they gave like 20 bucks. They didn't give their two cents, right? I know it's not you, but there's people, there's people, right? 
But we have, you know, we say that. We are two cents worth. Or we have two coin, you know, two pennies to rub together, that kind of thing. And, you know, and so we're kind of familiar with what that, that might look like. But, you know, um, we, we find pennies all over, don't we? Change, loose change. I mean, like, where do you find that most? Usually it's, it's in your vacuum or in your seat cushion or, or under your car seat, right? Uh, and maybe at the end of the day, uh, you, you empty your pockets and there's loose change with all kinds of receipts and papers and you have a, a place to put them. And, and so we, we might find them all over. Sometimes you hear it clanging around in your dryer, right? And, and we have that. But it's interesting, you know, I thought about this, would, and you don't have to raise your hands, but would you or still do you pick up a penny if you see one? If you, I said you didn't have to answer, but it's okay. Everybody wants to make sure, yes. It's interesting, right? Just think about that. Now, maybe you don't stop for every penny, but if you see a penny on the ground, do you stop to pick it up? Or does it have to be a nickel, like something silver, something maybe a dime, or maybe you're just like at a quarter. I'll stop for a quarter. I'm sure if there's a dollar bill or a 20, you know, you'll, you'll pick that up. But would you stop to pick up a penny? Do you still do that? Maybe when you were younger, you did, and you collected pennies. And I remember collecting pennies and having those little those little sort of red, you know, sleeves, and you would put them in there. Now you can just kind of go to the, 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 the change machine and throw it all in, and, and it gives you a receipt, and you get your money. But I remember collecting those pennies and doing that, you know. But I've heard, and I believe this is still true, that it actually costs the government a penny and a half, one and a half cents, to actually make a penny. So I think it actually costs more to make the penny than what it's worth in its value, monetarily. Isn't that something? So like the, 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 the contents of what it takes to make an actual penny costs more than the value of it. I mean, what can you actually buy a penny for these days? I remember, I, again, I'm dating myself. I, you could buy a, a gum. You could put, you know, a penny in and, and, and buy gum. You know, maybe some of you don't want to say what you used to be able to. Don't say a loaf of bread. We don't want to, we don't want to know that, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. So what is it really worth? You know, um, uh, I, I read this as well. This just blew my mind. But I know we've all been there. But maybe you, you suck up a penny in, in your vacuum and you're just like, I'm not going to bend over and clean it out to get that. And it goes in the trash. We've all been there. And sometimes it's by accident. Sometimes you recognize, oh, it's old or whatever. And it's not worth me taking out to save it. And it goes. But do you know, and this is from a study by one of the leading waste management and recycling companies in this country, that on average Americans throw out $62 million a year. Now that's in pennies and, and all dimes, and mostly it's probably by accident, but some of it, right, isn't it by choice? You see something, you're just like, I'm sweeping up and I don't have time, and it goes. And that adds up. I mean, these recycling and waste management plants, they see that, and, and they, they see it, and they can calculate based on, it said, by tonnage, how much, how much money they find per tons and how much garbage there is. $62 million a year that we throw out. So maybe we'll kind of think twice the next time that we see even a penny. Some of you I see you're looking around. Maybe somebody dropped a penny last week, right? But here's another interesting fact. You know, the government actually did this survey um, that uh, 70%, it's interesting, 70% of people over the age of 60 will stop to pick up a penny. But only 40% of those under the age of 30 will do so. Now, I wonder if those that are under 30 today, when they get to be 60 and over, will they still do that? But perhaps we won't even have pennies in circulation. Isn't that interesting? 
But you know, um, uh, uh, I just think it's, I think it's fascinating. But when we see the story today, yes, of course, the widow didn't have a penny as we know it. But what she had, these two small coins, some of your, your versions call it a mite, or it just says two small coins that were a cent or a penny or less than a penny. The, significant, the significance is that they were the smallest denomination, the smallest coins even in size at that time. I was actually given one recently, you know, and it's amazing how small they are. There's actually a lot of those still not in circulation, but you can actually uh, obtain those. They still exist from way back then, 2,000 years ago, because there were so many that they printed and used. But it was the, the two smallest coins that were in existence that were used for money. And um, it says that, and so Mark actually converts it for us into Roman coins, doesn't actually kind of help us, but of course it was a Jewish woman who was in the temple and she put it in, but it was worth um, a fraction of a day's wage, okay? Because a denarius was a Roman coin that was worth about a day's wage for like an average, um, you know, laborer. And so what she put in was worth just a fraction of that, like one sixty-fourth of a of a day's wage. So for today... That might equal like a dollar fifty or two dollars. Now that doesn't sound like so small an amount, like in today's world. But I mean, some places you can't even get a cup of coffee for two dollars, right? And so significantly what it means is it was a small amount. But it was a small amount also for her, but relative in a sense to what else was going on. So let me help to, to paint that picture about what was happening and what Jesus was seeing, in a sense. Because Jesus gives great value to those two small coins. In that day, they might not have been worth a lot, but He gives great value to them. But it wasn't their monetary worth. It was the heart behind it and what it meant to the giver. That's the significance. So a little bit of overview of where we are and then painting the picture of what was happening at this scene. And then I'll read it. And so remember, Jesus had been visiting the temple for the past few days. Remember on that Sunday, the triumphal entry, the beginning of Holy Week, right? He, he enters into Jerusalem and with that triumphal entry begins teaching in the temple. Do you remember what the first thing he did was when he got into the temple? He overturned the tables of the money changers. There's a money, there's a theme here about, uh, about the priority that people will put, were putting on the money, especially the religious leaders of the day. And he calls out the scribes in our story in particular. And so when Jesus comes into the temple at the beginning of the week, he doesn't like what he finds. And he spends the rest of the week as he is going back and forth with the religious leaders and he is condemning them and calling them out. It is often about their pride that comes from how much they are giving. But it's all about what is happening in God's house, His Father's house, the temple. It's supposed to be all about prayer, right? And worship. And He does not like what He finds. So He began with cleansing the temple. But then that sort of ministry in the temple, the public ministry, ends with this scene about money as well. Let's make sure we don't miss that. See, there was a lot of show going on in the temple, but little of what pleased God. So just before His final exit from Jerusalem and what was about to happen, 
he notices one beautiful act that showed up all of the rest of the temple activity. One little act which had great significance. The widow and her two coins actually represents all that Jesus was trying to teach His disciples. He was teaching them about humility versus pride and true worship versus false devotion. And so Jesus' condemnation of the scribes and their conduct, it, include, it concludes His account of His public ministry and that it transitions into His teaching actually about the end times. And so next week we get into chapter 13. We're going to see what's called the Olivet Discourse or His Sermon on the Mount of Olives. And it's all about what was going to happen And so much of it was about judgment. God's judgment on the leadership and the people of Israel. It all had to do with what He had seen in the temple that week. Does that make sense? As He comes into the temple and He sees what's going on, He then ends His time, as we're going to see starting next week, with His disciples. It's not a public public sermon. It's for His disciples. And He says, this is what's about to happen. And he talks about judgment. He talks about the destruction of the temple, which would happen just a few decades later. Do you see? And Jesus says it's all because of what the leaders were doing and that they were full of pride and not humility like this widow. So, I'm going to read it and then I just want to briefly go through uh, the verses and then I want to end with our so what. What is this supposed to mean for us today? Here's what the passage says in Mark 12. It's Mark 12, 38 to 44. It's the end of chapter 12. And here's what it says. And in his teaching, Jesus said, beware of the scribes. Now this is public, he's saying. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. And they have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. They devour widows' houses And for a pretense, they make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And then again, next week we'll see he goes on to teach his disciples what that looks like. So he sat down opposite the treasury and he watched. He watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put large sums. But a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Here's one of those instances where Jesus gives us the interpretation. Everything is clear, isn't it? We don't have to go searching. What did he really mean? He lays it out for his disciples. This is what the widow represents. So briefly, I'm painting the picture. So in verse 38 to 40, he talks about these scribes. They love to walk around these long robes of white linen. It was kind of seen as, as, as being making them really important. They love the greetings in the marketplace because people just treated them with honor and they loved it. They loved having the special seats in the synagogue and in the feasts. They were sitting right at the head of the table with the host. But then it says even more, 
dire. It says, they devour, devour widows' houses. See, the scribes were like the lawyers of the day. So they were often given um, by widows. They were often given sort of the, the legal rights to help manage their money. And Jesus says he knew for a fact that they often would take advantage of that. And they would take the widow's money that they would then be in charge of and they would use it for themselves. They would misappropriate the funds of a poor old widow. And Jesus, of course, condemns them. So he says they even, he describes it as devouring the widow's houses. That they would come in for a feast, they would be welcomed, get the seat at the head of the table, and they would proceed to then take advantage of somebody. Take advantage of the widow. It was quite a vivid figure of speech that he used to condemn these scribes. See, Jesus had found the temple barren and fruitless. Remember the the story of the fig tree that on his way out of the temple one day that he cursed and he used it to, to teach his disciples this is what's going to happen to the leadership and the people of Israel. They will no longer bear fruit because they are being punished and judged. And that's what he's saying about the scribes. That they devour the widow's houses. And he says they will receive the greater condemnation. Why? Because they should have known better. Because they knew the Word of God. They had it up here, but they didn't have it here. And Jesus said, you're the, religious, you're the leaders of My Father's people. And this is their place of worship, the temple. And this is what you're doing. You will not only receive condemnation, but greater condemnation. Verses 41 to 42. It says, He sat down opposite the treasury. And He watched people putting money in the offering boxes. There were a lot of rich people putting in all kinds of money. But then the poor widow came and put in the two copper coins. See, there was different courts in the temple. If you can picture the, the, the temple as just a, a big a, a big space. And there was, there was rooms and there was open spaces. There was different courts like gathering spaces there was a court of the jews and the the gentiles and there was a court of the women and this is where this is taking place and it was a special gathering place for them but men were allowed to come in and and what's interesting is that that is where they set up these sort of treasury boxes we know um, from historical records that there were 13 of them along the walls of the, the the court of the women and they were shaped like trumpets And so when people would put money in, it would make a lot of noise. And there was 13 of them. And so it's interesting, Jesus kind of sees what's going on, and he he comes and he takes a seat, and he's just watching what's happening. Remember, it was Passover, the Feast of the Passover. There were millions of people cramming into this small city, Jerusalem. And they're all in the temple, of course. They came from all throughout the land. And he's just watching. And he's watching. People are coming and going. And he's watching people giving. And he's seeing these scribes in these long flowy gowns coming and giving lots of big sums of money. Lots of coins. And all the rich people coming. You can just picture it. They're watching to make sure everybody's looking before they put their money in. Right? Did you ever go uh, to a restaurant or a place and they have a little tip jar there and, and you want to put a tip in, but did you ever think just for a moment, I hope they're looking? I know you've done it, right? You hold, and maybe you just wait a second until they're looking, then you put it in. So they can say, oh, thank you. Done it. Jesus says, 
Just put it in. So he's watching this all happening. And he's seeing all these rich, prideful people throwing all kinds of money. You know what? It made a lot of noise. And they purposely did that. There was a lot of clanging going on as they threw their coins in. And he was watching that happening. Can you imagine the heart of our Lord just watching all this pridefulness, especially from the religious leaders? But then comes along, he calls it a poor widow. This poor widow comes along and she drops in two small coins. How much noise did that make? But what's interesting is what Jesus says to us is like he's saying, that's what I heard. All of the noise of the other giving, you can have that. I recognize it. But what I heard was the little clang of these two small coins. So it says he sat down opposite that treasury. He watched them. Lots of rich people putting all those coins. But what caught his attention was a poor widow. She put in two small copper coins, which weren't worth monetarily, nearly anything close to what everybody was putting in. But Jesus gives those two coins such value and worth. Such value and worth. Because why? He recognized the heart behind it. See? He recognized it. So proportionally, He says she gave the most. Why? She gave all that she had. Right in verse 44. See, he goes on to tell them, he calls his disciples, he says, see what's going on here? He, he like calls them aside, see everything that happened? And they're like, yeah, Jesus, this widow. He goes, they all contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. As she put in everything she had, all she had to live on. We often don't think about giving out of a place of poverty, do we? But spiritually speaking, Jesus is looking for spiritual poverty. That it's really not about the monetary value of what you give. It's the heart behind it. The heart attitude behind why you're giving. You see, the widow, she gave in the temple, but she was giving to God. And I think for the scribes, it was probably just the opposite. They weren't really giving to God. They were giving to the temple in front of the crowds. So Jesus used the widow as an example to teach His disciples the value that God places on wholehearted commitment. Because He says she gave out of poverty, put in everything that she had. And see, why did He call His disciples together? Remember the context, what was about to happen. He knew that they needed to be all in. They needed to be committed to the mission because He knew what was about to happen a day later. They didn't know what was coming. He had told them to be prepared. He was preparing them. He knew they still didn't quite get it. So he was showing them, saying, this is the kind of commitment I expect from my disciples and my followers. That you would be all in. See, this incident illustrates Jesus' total self-giving and death as well, doesn't it? Doesn't what the widow does is sort of symbolize and represent what Christ is about to do? Did not our Heavenly Father give all that He had? And the Lord Jesus, just like the widow gave of her two small coins. See, she gave, not expecting praise or honor from people, but out of gratitude for God and the joy of giving back to Him. Church, is that how we give? Whether it's your money or whether it's your time, however it is that you're giving back to God, 
in other places or here in this church for our ministries? Are you doing it with that joyful heart and an an attitude of gratitude? See, it's not about the amount a person gives, but it's the how and the why. That's a true estimation of the worth of somebody's offering. And so, so what? The last few minutes together. Look at these few things. Think about this. So what does this mean to us? Why is this important that we read this account of the widow's offering in contrast, as Jesus gives us, to the scribes, the lawyers, the one who are taking advantage of the widows and their money, the ones who should know better? What do we glean from that today? First and foremost, God looks at the heart. He's not looking at the amount that you're putting into the offering plate. He's not looking at the amount that you're necessarily giving to other charities. God looks at the heart. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you're giving at any particular time, are you doing it for Him and for His purposes? Do you have the right heart behind it? See, everyone saw the big gifts of the rich. Jesus saw it. But Jesus also saw what no one else did. Can you also imagine, against, again, the throngs of people that were there and all the wealthy people making all kinds of noise. Picture just the widow trying to get in there and trying to get into one of those, put her money into one of those 13 treasury boxes, just her two coins, just trying to make her way to do that. That's what Jesus notices. He saw what no one else saw. God sees what no one else sees. That's your heart. People can see you putting, people can see your good works and what you're doing. God sees the heart. He saw the humble gift of a poor widow. Everyone heard the noise of all the rich people's coins. They tried to make that noise to garner all the attention they could. But Jesus heard the two small coins. You know, Matthew 6, I think, is a great companion passage to ours today. Uh, In Matthew 6, he talks about giving to the needy and it's interesting that make sure you you get this that what i'm about to read from matthew 6 just the first few verses this happens right before jesus teaches disciples how to pray so we all know that right when jesus says this is how you should pray this is what comes right before it so think about it jesus knows the heart Even when we go to pray, He wants the right heart behind it. Didn't He condemn the scribes in our passage today that they like lengthy prayers? They like to pray so everybody could hear them. Look at all the fancy Bible words they know. And they pray them all, all the ones they know, so people can say, wow. Jesus says, what's the heart behind it? So here's the words that Jesus says to His disciples right before that passage about teaching them how to pray. It says in Matthew 6, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. That sound familiar? All those giving boxes were shaped like trumpets. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and on the streets, so they can be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have already received their reward in full. Wow. They've already gotten the reward they wanted. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. 
See, then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Because He knows the heart. See, He saw the widow. Everybody else passed her by. He saw what no one else saw. Verse 5, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. And then the rest of that, we won't read it. He goes on to say, so this is how you should pray then. So God sees what others don't because He judges the heart. So we need to give with the right heart attitude. But also, God commends giving in faith. See, doesn't He say that the widow gave all that she had? Yes, it was just two small coins. Not worth much at that time and that day, but he says it was worth so much. Why? He gave, she gave all that she had. That means she had great faith. See, she was the one who needed charity and help, but she's the one that gave it all. She was the one who was impoverished, and she gave it all that she had. You know, there's been a few times where I've just been blown away. Times that I've been able to go help people through one of our ministries on the streets of New York. And I have seen people that are homeless that really all they have are the clothes on their back and they have given. They have given the little that they have to help others. One time I remember we took a a man out, me and a group of people, we took him out for some pizza. He only had a little bit of money. We didn't make him pay. We bought the pizza. And he saw one of his friends from the street come in. And he said, can we give him my last piece of pizza? That's what he said. That's all he had really was that piece of pizza left and he wanted to give it. Because he knew somebody else was in his position or even worse. God commends giving in faith. She had the heart to give. She gave the last of what she had with no concern for herself. She trusted God to provide. You know, Later on in chapter 6 of Matthew, it says these famous words, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that all these things will be added to you. What are all those things? Remember what Jesus was teaching about? He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. For us, what does that mean? Don't worry if you don't have a job and you've been looking. God knows what you need. He says, seek first the kingdom. What does that look like? Put Him first. Give in secret. Be humble before Him. Worship Him. Seek first His kingdom. All the things that lead to His righteousness and point to that. He says all those other things that we worry about from day to day, He will take care of it. In His way, in His time. It might not be the job you want. It might not be the amount that you were looking for. It might not be that answer, uh, that, that cure for that health thing you've been dealing with. It might not be exactly what you look like or when you want it. But is God faithful or isn't He? See, that's the question. And so he points to the widow saying she gave all that she had because she gave in faith. She was seeking first the kingdom of God. She wasn't looking to make a lot of noise putting in all kinds of money into the treasury boxes. 
She didn't care if people saw her or not, but God saw her and saw her heart. And she gave trusting. So you know what, church? When we give to God of all that we have, we're to do it trusting. It's been said before that if you give out of your abundance, it's not even really giving. In a way, in some way, it's supposed to be sacrificial and to hurt. And so she gave all that she had. But she did it because she was trusting in God. So there's a question for us today. Do we trust Him? Do we trust Him? I know that we're all thinking of the situation that we might be in or that we know we're, we're going to be facing soon. Do we trust that the same God who has provided in the past for us, and we know it, we can tell those stories of testimony, is He not the same God? Does He not have still the same power to be able to provide for us in our current situation? But I mean, how soon we forget we all do that, don't we? But God, just this time can you provide, forgetting all of the times that God provided. How can God, how can you do this? I don't even know if you can do it this time. It sounds silly, but we act that way. We do. But all we're called to do is trust and obey. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else will be taken care of. But we are to give of ourselves in faith and trusting Him. And finally, God wants all of us, doesn't He? I mean, if He knows our heart and He wants us to give out of faith in a place of trusting Him, God wants all of us. He wants us to be all in. I mean, think about it. What, what do we really have to give anyway? What do we have to give back to God but something He's already given us? Whether it's money or it's health or it's a talent, whatever it is, it's something He has already blessed us with. As we, you know, we're just celebrating and honoring our graduates. There's those times in, in the life of every parent where you have to sort of let your children fly. And it's hard. Like I said, we were looking for, yeah, one day, one day we'll be empty nesters and here we are. But it's hard. It's not that easy to let them go. It's not that easy, but you have to be able to do that. Why? Because we have to be able to give back to God our children because He gave them to us. We don't own them. Sometimes we might, I guess, act like it and say it. But God gave them to us as gifts. And so we have to give them back to Him. Surrender them to Him. See, we do that with spouses with close family members, with friends, those that God has put in our lives, blessed us with as true gifts, we are to give them back to Him. But we do it from a place of humility and thankfulness and trust. We have to trust. As our kids are no longer going to be in our home and we're not going to be helping them to make every day-to-day decision, we're going to trust that God will protect them and provide. As we pray that God would surround our loved ones when they're not with us, with people that love God also, and that will speak truth into their lives, that will help keep them accountable when they go astray, when their parents can't be with them and helping them that way we would like to. So God wants all of us, we're supposed to give ourselves back to Him, not just a portion. So think this morning, church, what is it in your life? What are those parts of your life that you're holding on to? See, the widow... It's not just about what she gave, church. It's about the fact that she held nothing back. She held nothing back. What are we holding back from God? It's all His anyway. 
But what are we holding back from surrendering to God? He calls us to be impoverished of spirit, which means to be humble in giving, giving to have a generous soul. See, the poverty of the poor widow, it's not a problem to be fixed, but it's really more of a virtue that we are to take and to make our own. It's almost like the poor widow who has nothing becomes our teacher. And we are His students. And Jesus pulls His students, His disciples around Him and says, see that widow? Be like her. She didn't need all the long robes, the praise of others, the best seats in the synagogue. Because why? Because she gets it. She didn't find her worth in money like the scribes did and their pride. So like for us, we should always find our identity in being a child of God. Not in material wealth or lack thereof. If you're here today and you're just getting by, living paycheck to paycheck, you don't know how you're going to feed your family tomorrow or the next day or the next week, doesn't God know that? Is not God bigger than all of that? It doesn't make it easy. I'm not trivializing it. But what God is saying through Jesus and this scene of the widow and her two small coins, He's saying no matter what you have or what you don't have, your identity is not wrapped up in those things that can be seen. It's in your heart that belongs to God. Because you are a child of the living God. A son or daughter of the King. Therein lies your identity. No matter what kind of clothes you can afford to wear, no matter where you go to eat, no matter what it looks like on the outside to people, whether you wear long robes of linen white and get the choicest seats at the feasts, or whether you have two small copper coins to put in that make no noise at all, God will hear that noise. Because we are to find our identity not in what the world says, not in all the pictures that you see. The world says, look like this, be like this, spend your money here and there. Find your identity first and foremost in the one who created you. See, it's about letting go and not holding tightly. Living with open hands and an open heart. Because when you live with open hands, what you're saying is, this is all from God. And yes, I have ownership of it now, but not possession. There's a fine line there. When you move from taking ownership of something, which can be good. But when it moves to possession, that's what happens when you close your hands and you have tight fists. When you, when you live like this and you are holding on for dear life to what you have, two things are happening. First of all, you're squeezing the life out of it and your hands aren't open. You can't receive any more blessings from the Lord. So live your life with your hands wide open, taking care of what God has given you, but ready to give it back to Him or to receive more. That's what God calls us to do. So what do you need to let go of today? What are you holding on to? Have you given back to God, but you're holding on to a part of your life that you're just not ready to surrender to the Lord yet? Remember, Jesus saw all that activity. He saw all the giving. He commended the one who gave it all away. The widow held nothing back. Remember the Apostle Peter once said, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. Have you left everything at the foot of the cross to follow Jesus? That's what He calls for discipleship. When you become a believer in Him and you choose to be a follower, does He not say, you want to be My disciple? Deny yourself. Take up your cross 
and follow me. He doesn't just say follow me. He says this is how you're going to follow me. Deny yourself. Give it all away. The rich young ruler. What must I do? I've kept all those commandments. Jesus said go give all that you have to the poor. Come back and follow me. And he left dejected. Because he couldn't just give what Jesus said made them what was most important. She gave all she had. She trusted God for her life. See, in His love we find our security. In hope in Christ, that's where we have our guarantee. And in faith in Him, that's where we find our answers. So my question is, are you all in? Do you trust Him enough to give Him all that you have? Church, would you stand as I pray for us? Father, we close our time standing unified before You as we said that We are before Your throne of grace and we know we can come before You with confidence because of Jesus. And so God, as a church right now, as believers, we come before You say, yes, we want to be Your followers. We want to follow Your Son, Jesus. But God, it's hard. We need help surrendering. We need help denying ourselves. We need help taking up that cross. God, it hurts. We don't want to do that. But it's what You call us to do. Would You help us as we leave this place to trust more, to obey more, to be more like the widow, whether we give two small copper coins or we just give a whole bunch of coins that make a lot of noise. God, we know the noise that You hear. And it's what comes from our heart. So Lord, thank You for that. Thank You that You know us and You love us that much that You would care that much. God, would You help us to come before You with all humility trusting you that we would just give you all that we have that we would be all in for jesus willing to surrender it each and every day god would you help us holy spirit go before us prepare the way that we might do that jesus to you goes all that glory in his name amen